Welcome to the Campus Energy and Sustainability Podcast. In each episode, we'll talk with leading campus professionals, thought leaders, engineers, and innovators addressing the unique challenges and opportunities facing higher ed and corporate campuses. Our discussions will range from energy conservation and efficiency to planning and finance, from building science to social science, from energy systems to food systems. We hope you're ready to learn, share, and ultimately accelerate your institution towards solutions. I'm your host, Dave Carlscott. I'm a principal at Fovia, an energy, carbon, and business planning firm. In this episode, you'll hear my round-robin interview with three different thought leaders. All three run programs focused on using their campus as a testbed for sustainability. We'll talk about the logistics of their programs, how they're structured and funded, but also how they're continuing to evolve. We'll also talk about how applied learning is helping to transform our educational system to better address the major social, economic, and environmental challenges of our time. I hope you enjoy this November 2017 interview with Leska Riche of the University of British Columbia in Vancouver, Rochelle Haddock of the University of Calgary, and Caroline Savage of Princeton University. Well, Liska, uh, Rochelle, and Caroline, it's great to have you on the show today. We're certainly pushing my podcast abilities, trying to have three simultaneous guests, so we'll see how that goes. <laughs> Hopefully, we'll get three times the insights rather than three times the technical difficulties as we get into this conversation. <laughs> so with that in mind, um, I'm going to serve mostly as parliamentarian today rather than typical podcast host. And I know the three of you presented before, so uh, hopefully you can do this without me. Maybe we can start with a round robin. We'll go clockwise, starting from Vancouver, then to Calgary, then to Princeton. So Liska, would you start us off by just giving us a little bit of background on your role, uh, your institution, and the Campus as a Living Lab program? Sure. So my role is as a manager of a program called the SEEDS Sustainability Program. And we're situated within the planning department at the University of British Columbia at the Vancouver campus. My role or how I, I came to my role, I, I think I often describe it as a, as, a, as a square dance where I was involved in the academic side of the campus for quite some time working on my PhD, doing graduate work and as an instructor and then also working within our formerly called Campus Sustainability Office. I came to a point in time where I was able to merge these interests and where I was able to sit in what I described as a very unique milieu, right in the intersection of academia and operations, where I was, I was able to work with both sides of the campus into what is now described as my role in the program, where my role is really about creating bridges between the academic and the operational side of the campus to advance our operational sustainability priorities and at the same time give students enriched and meaningful applied learning opportunities here. The University of British Columbia, we're, we're a very large campus. We've got a daytime population of about 70,000, about 21,000 employees and about 50,000 um, students. We have about 50% of our campus households are occupied by somebody who studies or works here, and that's, a, that's only increasing. We've got about 500 buildings and 400 hectares of land. We're, we're quite unique in that we own and operate many of our utilities, including our electrical, our heating, our waste, and our water, and we're also responsible a lot for our roads and our infrastructure. So really, we're, we act as these owner-operators of a, a very substantial part of our, our institution, uh, I think, which gives us a lot of unique ability to do things here, like campus as a living lab. Thanks, Liska. Moving on to Rochelle in Calgary. Well, hello, uh, this is Rochelle Haddock from the University of Calgary. My role is the project coordinator for Campus as a Learning Lab. 
I work within the Office of Sustainability, which has a dual report to the VP of Facilities and the VP Academic and Provost. So we're situated between those, those two houses on our campus. The University of Calgary is a, a pretty young university. We're 51 years old, making us a, a young and nimble campus. We're a very research-intensive university. We're currently the number six research um, institution in Canada. We have over 30,000 students here on campus, and we actually have five campuses that are spread across Calgary and then uh, other places in the world. The program, uh, the Campus as a Learning Lab program, I could think, you know, we see it as a, a way of linking together the education research activities on campus with, with operations. So similar to what Liska was sharing, you know, we're really bridging these two worlds. As far as how I came to this role, I have a background in forestry and environmental science. And I worked for a long time in the nonprofit sector. Uh, most recently for a charitable research institute that was really a knowledge translation and mobilization organization and, and we sought to make research understandable and accessible to people who had to make all sorts of challenging decisions. So the skills I developed in that position lend themselves well to uh, to this role where, as Lucas said, we're really building those bridges between the, these two realms on campus. Thanks, Rochelle. Caroline, you're up. All right. Um, so my name is Caroline Savage. Uh, I am the campus as lab manager at Princeton University, which is a small research college in New Jersey. Um, and the environment at Princeton has been very theoretical. So while I think, um, and what campus as lab means on our campus is sort of like what Rochelle and Liska have said. Um, it's sort of this idea of, of this nexus. How can we connect the dots between the academic piece and the operations piece? Um, how can we on Princeton's campus be a microcosm for some of the global sustainability problem solving that we need to see? And how do we infuse some of that into applied learning? as a way to communicate this information and to empower students as change makers, um, which is a really great concept and wasn't necessarily an easy sell at Princeton. Princeton has historically been a very theoretical university, and there are a lot of benefits to that, but kind of trying to infuse some of the applied dimensions of a campus's lab program has been very interesting to kind of massage through some of the culture here. And I got my start doing campuses lab work. My past position was director of sustainability at Indiana State University and working there with a large surplus of vacant land that the university owned um, and just kind of working with students and with uh, staff and operational folks and faculty who are interested in doing research on this land and how could we use um, what seemed to be a problem as a resource, as a teaching tool. So I think that's an important takeaway and we can get into this later is for universities that uh, maybe don't have as much funding um, how can you kind of conceive of whatever resources you have as a jumping off point for your own campus's lab program? Because that's exactly what I did. And now we're taking this to a next level at Princeton. Great. Okay. Well, we've got a good introduction from each of you. I guess we should maybe back up a second and just define what we're talking about here. So first of all, let me just clarify from my own mind. Is it campus as a living lab, campus as a learning lab, campus as a... <laughs> so all let's just above. define what we're talking about here. <laughs> Maybe one of you could give me just a Wikipedia-like definition of what it is. <laughs> Caroline, you want to tackle that? You've done, <laughs> you've done I? the research. Okay. <laughs> um, 
It's campus as lab, campus as living lab, um, campus as a learning laboratory for sustainability, applied learning. All of these terms are things that different campuses have used to mean this basic concept of how is the campus a testbed for sustainability solutions. Um, and I think what that means in practice varies for different campuses. So I think that's why you see a lot of different terminologies, some using the term learning lab, um, some I really have enjoyed the term applied learning. Um, I think that term, we're starting to see that being used more and more. Uh, and that's um, kind of captures the sense that these, uh, these applied learning opportunities don't necessarily have to take place within the confines of the walls of your campus. Um, one idea we've been experimenting with at Princeton is um, kind of how are the borders of our campus porous? What does the campus's lab look like when we're maybe um, getting food from the nearby town of Trenton? Um, you know, how, how, are, how is our campus beyond um, the physical geographical borders? And what does that mean? How can we study some of those relationships and where sustainability is happening there? Um, so I don't know if that answers your question about what campus's lab or campus's living lab means or problematizes it more, um, but that's definitely something that we talk about in the campus's lab community is, is what's the right term to use for your specific campus? Um, what does this mean? And, and how, how are the words used to describe it important? No, it, helps, it helps a little bit. I had some vague notion of it being plants tied to the ventilation system or some abuse of <laughs> graduate students and some sort of diabolical <laughs> science experiment. So at least I know it's not that. Um, well, let's talk a little bit about how does one get projects into such a program? I mean, talk to me about how do the projects get picked? Give me a little bit more of the logistical background. So at UBC and the, the SEEDS program, I think there's a number of different pathways and there's so many different models from at various different universities with how living laboratory projects get selected, how they're specifically defined, and how they get implemented. With SEEDS, we have a number of, of different pathways where we have um, the community members here on our campus, we might refer to as staff, they identify either uh, challenges or, or opportunities that they have within their area of operations where they want some help. They want to tap into the academic um, resources of our campus to, to come up with solutions to some of these challenges and problems. So we'll work with them to, to frame out and scope out specific project um, proposals and then monitor and implement them and match them in, in, in courses here at UBC. So for us, it's senior level undergraduate or graduate courses. Another pathway for us is that we, so SEED sits within the planning department. We're in a unique position where our department um, develops many of the operational plans of the campus, like our zero waste action plan, climate action plan, water action um, plan, green building plan, biodiversity strategy, urban forest management plan, and I can go on and on. So what our team does is we look at these plans, and there's so many ambitious goals and actions in these. And these are relevant, really cross-cutting across the, the campus. So our team will, will, will analyze these plans, identify opportunities uh, within them, and also based on our collective conversations from sitting in multiple different kind of campus-wide committees that are working to address these collective goals and frame out projects. And then again, integrate those um, within the curriculum. So those are probably, those are our two main mechanisms here of how uh, projects get developed. And then our other, our other one that we, because we sit within operations, we don't sit within the academic side, is we do receive project ideas from students. The, the condition is though, based, our, our core principle in our program is that every project has to be grounded in the community needs. It's so important to us that and the appropriate stakeholders are involved 
in which the challenges or the opportunities or the problems affect. So if a student does come to us an idea, let's say they want to create a garden on campus, then we need to make sure that's relevant to the community in which that affects. And we'll try to uh, consult with the, those community members to make sure that that's relevant and, and valid to them. So that's our key mechanism here for how living laboratory projects get identified. Great. So uh, looking at the University of, of Calgary context, one thing I neglected to mention is that our campus as a learning lab program or initiative stemmed out of our institutional sustainability strategy, which was uh, completed in 2016 after several years of extensive consultation on campus and, and with the uh, beyond campus community. And, and that's really where this initiative came to life. And so we're pretty young with this initiative. There have been learning lab type projects underway on campus for a number of years, but uh, this is the first time that we've really had a, a dedicated staff person working on this initiative. And uh, we also have something called Community as a Learning Partner, which is under development. And uh, both Campus as a Learning Lab and Community as a Learning Partner are approaches we use to, again, uh, bridge the education and research side of the campus with the operations side. So Campus as a Learning Lab for us is really focused in on those five campuses I mentioned. And at the heart of it, we're trying to develop uh, some core competencies in uh, student leadership for sustainability. These include things like systems thinking, empathy, understanding different worldviews, uh, stakeholder engagement, to name a few of them. So that's really at the heart of our campus as a learning lab approach. We have projects on campus for uh, campus as a learning lab that range from co-curricular projects, which are projects undertaken by what we call sustainability peer helpers. They're students who are volunteering two to five hours a week uh, with our Office of Sustainability staff, and they work on a dedicated project over the course of a year. And then, you know, we have Campus as a Learning Lab projects that take place within courses, that take place within our new embedded sustainability certificate, individual research or thesis projects, and then faculty research projects, and then industry and community partnerships looking at sustainability research on campus. So we have a number of types of Campus as a Learning Lab projects taking place. Given that we're pretty young, or we're, we're working out some of the kinks with this with this initiative, we've decided to focus our Campus as Learning Lab projects on a number of key areas, including a, a new, well, it's actually a redevelopment that's happening on campus with one of our uh, library buildings, which has been selected as a uh, carbon neutral pilot project for the Canadian Green Building Council. We have a number of projects focused on that. We've also uh, been focusing our work, our Campus as Learning Lab projects, in on the work of sustainability stewardship working groups on campus, which have implementation plans that are created to help advance sustainability on campus. So we're trying to figure out how to use Campus as a Learning Lab as a tool to support the work of, of these groups. So currently, we have Campus as a Learning Lab projects tied into the Food Services Working Group and the net zero waste working group on campus. But uh, it's, it's really exciting to see all the possibilities that Campus as a Learning Lab presents for, for campus and uh, feels a bit like drinking from, from a fire hydrant. <laughs> <laughs> I'll pass it on to you, Caroline. Yeah, that, that definitely resonates. Thanks, Michelle. <laughs> um, so I think in a lot of what um, both of you are saying about um, kind of making sure to align 
your goals with the projects is really important. Um, and so our campuses lab program, we started kind of with the idea we're just about to finish um, a major campus planning initiative by the end of this year. That'll be a, a public document. Um, and with that, we'll be um, revising some of our sustainability targets as well. And so at the time I came in about a year ago in October 2016, the goal was how can we sort of engage the knowledge and expertise of this academic community to help the campus make really intelligent decisions as we're executing the goals of this master plan and, and that there would be this great alignment. And the longer I've been here, the more we kind of um, process this work, it's really seeming to make more sense on our campus to kind of flip it a little bit and stay instead of how can we engage the academic community in service of our operational goals, say the reverse. How can our campus operations be a partner in Princeton's academic mission? So I think in practice, we're seeing the same project still. Um, it's just a little bit of a different, it's, we didn't make any radical changes to the program. I think it's more of a shift in the core mentality of how we approach this work, um, of how we engage stakeholders, of kind of the process of doing campuses labs. So it's very subtle. Um, but for us, it's been sort of helpful to refine language and think about how to engage new stakeholders and, and bring folks onto this. So um, at Princeton, what that looks like in practice is three main pathways to campuses lab. One of them is through coursework. So faculty members who want to work with us to maybe revise existing courses that they have to um, incorporate some kind of applied learning or campuses lab component or proposing something completely new. Coursework will be one way to do that. Um, we also have worked with faculty who are just really interested in one aspect of campus sustainability or another. Um, we had one professor who was interested in construction with rammed earth. So she built a rammed earth wall in our campus garden, um, wasn't connected to a course. It was just interesting as she was able to engage some graduate students in the academic aspects of that. Um, and then the third way that this is happening on Princeton's campus is through ind independent student research. So all graduating seniors have to go through a, a pretty onerous, I would say, master's thesis-like research project that takes them the whole year to complete. So we already have kind of this resource, right, of students that have to do this this project anyway. And a lot of the juniors as well have to do pretty intensive research projects. Um, so being able to work with them and catch them early and kind of engage them in thinking about how could they use their research projects as an opportunity to change things on campus or make recommendations um, has been a very rewarding process and one that seems to resonate with the students a lot. Oh, it's an interesting point you make about flipping it around from utilizing the faculty members you know, for the campus rather than using the campus to support the students themselves. I mean, I think that's something that we've run into a lot when I'm doing consulting work. We'll end up in situations where sometimes a faculty member will be brought to the table. We actually had one at one point saying his role wasn't really there to give us ideas. His, his role was to poke holes in our ideas, which I thought <laughs> was refreshingly frank. But you know, there's a lot of dissonance that happens, I see, when you're trying to use people that are doing pure research. And then when you're starting to try to apply that to the facilities in which they're doing that research, it's just you know, the, the great institution they get to work for. There, it seems like there's more of a connection there than there maybe sometimes is, but it sounds like you guys have found a way around that. Absolutely. And I would say it's it's both and, right? It's not that you're doing one or the other. I think for us, it just kind of helped us change and reframe some of the language. But at the university I was working at previously, Indiana State University, thinking of it the other way around, thinking of uh, academics and service of operations would have been a totally appropriate way to have that conversation. Um, we're still having some of those here as well. It's, it's It's very slight, very subtle, I think, for us. Yeah. And hopefully I don't get hate mail from faculty members now. So we'll see how it goes. <laughs> <laughs> Great. All right. Let's move on to... Uh, 
let's talk about money. Maybe you can talk each about how your programs are funded. And just to mix it up a little bit, let's start in Calgary and then we'll keep going clockwise just so we don't confuse ourselves too much. <laughs> All right. Money, yes. Money is, is always an issue. Uh, we are very fortunate at the University of Calgary because our campus's Learning Lab initiative was realized through the Institutional Sustainability Strategy. We have internal funding to pay for my position. So that part's taken care of, for which <laughs> I'm very grateful. Uh, as far as money to engage in actual campus's Learning Lab projects, we have a couple of... Uh, funds on campus that students can access through our students union and through the Graduate Students Association. Those are sustainability funds. Students can apply to access dollars to help them with their projects and we can certainly support them in doing so. We're also looking at developing other revenue streams or I should say other sources of funding for carrying out campus's learning lab projects. One thing that we have done is work in partnership with faculty members and graduate students to apply for external research dollars to, to br bring the types of projects to campus that would really work well for campus's learning lab. Uh, we've been able to do this for the library redevelopment project, which I, I mentioned earlier. have a bunch of exciting research we're hoping we can roll out in tandem with the redevelopment of, of this building. So we're continually looking for opportunities like that to, to bring dollars into the program. And as Caroline mentioned in her intro, you know, in, in talking with other people doing this type of work on other campuses, resources certainly are a big limiting factor. And, you know, we're hopeful there's lots of ways to get, get creative with how we can use the resources that exist on campus to, to best do this work, provide opportunities for students and, and amplify uh, or I should say accelerate uh, sustainability on, on campuses. Yeah, I can echo a lot of that. Um, and I think that being at Princeton and being at Princeton fairly recently, coming from a, a state university in semi-rural Indiana, in my career as a sustainability practitioner, I've sat through a lot of presentations, you know, with some really creative sustainability ideas where the the how of these ideas is we threw money at it and it worked. Um, and that's great. <laughs> and um, at Princeton, certainly um, funding resources aren't maybe as much of a challenge for us as they are for um, other institutions, um, but they're still a challenge. And I think that um, one of the specific challenges that we see is that our researchers often expect a higher level of support. And what that means is they um, expect to be able to do things at scale that's greater than demonstration or that's that's really impactful. Um, and so sometimes we'll have funding, but it won't be quite enough to do it at that scale. So a lot of what we do is kind of try to work um, through partnerships because sort of the idea of being here with, with research being so important to this institution is that in general, if you have a, a really solid project idea that's going to have um, some profound impacts on society, usually somebody on campus or somebody is on campus will work with you to find a way to fund it. It's just a matter of going through that process of how. So even though the, the dollar figure might not be as big of a struggle for us as some other universities, we do have to do a lot of work with making those partnerships and kind of figuring out who's who should be on board with this, who should be engaged um, in the funding process. Process. Who um, do we need to loop in that maybe doesn't traditionally work in this area? And how can we kind of pool our resources and, and provide things at that scale? So there are two main funding mechanisms that our office 
facilitates, one of which is a fund that operates through our office that um, we're able to support mostly smaller scale independent student research projects or some course revisions, maybe smaller scale faculty research. Um, and then we have another fund that we're working with in collaboration with the Dean for Research Office um, to kind of facilitate some of those higher level projects that, that really support some of the research that our, um, our tenured faculty are wanting to do um, and that help them maybe explore a new area of their field that's a little bit more risky, um, that, that kind of breaks out of the silos a little bit. So that's how it looks at Princeton. But again, wanting to circle back to the idea that institutions are coming at this from different levels of resource. And I would encourage anybody who wants to try this on their own to focus more on resources than on dollars. So one other thing we're looking at is, you know, sure, we could fund binoculars for this next student project, or we could fund, I don't know, um, small scale scientific equipment for things. But a lot of those things exist on campus already. And I think this is true for a lot of campuses. So how can we do a better job of consolidating and maybe, I don't know, sharing um, some of those resources <laughs> that are more readily available? Um, how can you work in partnerships to do that? And then also going back to the Indiana State example, we had a lot of vacant land, which was seen as a problem um, by many people. Um, and the university bought it to kind of quality control the space. But it turned into a huge asset because nobody wanted to work with it. And we were able to start doing completely transformative things that pulled in students who maybe weren't thinking about sustainability at all, or maybe were unhappy in their major. And in that case, in that university, maybe even thinking of quitting school altogether. So I, I would really encourage folks to think about what your resources are wherever you are and how you can work with those. Yeah, and this is Liska here. I echo a lot of what both Rochelle and, and Caroline have, have said so far. For our program, we were initially funded as part of our former campus sustainability office that was in large part funded from retrofit and energy savings. And now we're core budget funded. Um, so like Caroline, I'm also very thankful for that and happy for my position. And then in terms of um, funding uh, projects, I think that a big part of that is many of our projects don't require funding. So I think a lot of people out there think that projects, in order for them to be successful, require funding. But if you integrate them into the curriculum and leverage existing um, resources at the campus, whether that's materials from our, our waste stream or looking at different donations or lab supplies or um, equipment from our landscape crews, there's a lot of that that already exists. Now, that being said, some projects do require funding, and those that funding there seeds has um, a small pot of money, not much. But again, I think the key word is leverage, which is, a, is, is being resourceful is, is a, a big part of, I think, of the, the job description if you're doing CLL work. Whether that's for us, it's leveraging our, our student sustainability fund. I think many campuses have these where there's a, a percentage of the student tuition fees are allocated towards um, a sustainability fund. So our students are able to apply for that. Other ones are, and many courses, especially capstone courses, there's some funds that are available for the students. So we've got some engineering courses where they get 800 bucks to put towards their, their project, which is usually not enough, but at least that's some seed money. The rest is that we're able to leverage partnerships with faculties uh, through applying for research money. Another one's working with their different community partners where they've got some, some funds and they can chip in. And then uh, the newer area that we're working on now is external grant funding. So one of these examples is that we were able to fund a large biodiversity project. It's sort of one of the new areas in sustainability that we're looking at or addressing here at through seeds at UBC. And that required, I think, some initial intensive resources. So basically staff 
to be able to put um, their minds to coming up with how are we going to develop a platform to develop a biodiversity strategy for the campus. So that required some initial funds. So I think that's sort of the, the other key area is, is looking at external funds. But again, as I think what's already been said, it's not necessary. Like you can do these programs working with existing funds of the university. I think it's, it's just what kind of scale and scope and how you frame out um, the program that you want to build. All right. So we've talked about how to get these projects started, how to leverage resources to get them going, whether that's actual funding or using existing resources. Talk to me a little bit about what are the outcomes that one should expect of these kinds of projects? I, I would expect that some of these have to be pretty short-lived because you're working within the time frame that a student is on campus, but I would imagine some maybe have longer time horizons. Talk to me, what is what does a great project look like or the range of gr- what great projects could look like? Caroline, do you go first this time? Um, I think at Princeton, one phrase that we've been using a lot and we continue to use as we think about, you know, sustainability in a changing world is this idea of creating a sustainability ethos on campus. So I think the really impactful campuses lab projects that we see are the ones that help us in our goal of creating such a transformative experience on campus that our students go forward with the tools to be change makers. And also that, you know, in that process, we're actually doing something right here on campus that's changing things and, and um, putting that work out there in a, in a way that's wider than you can do through the confines of, of a classroom. Um, I think one of the, you know, that's kind of like the large scale grandiose um, picture. Um, what that looks like in practice, I think, is starting to see, especially again in this very theoretical environment, starting to see more student projects that encapsulate this campus's lab theme. Um, so we're kind of tracking how many of the students that have to do this independent research anyway are choosing to do some aspect of um, campus's lab with that. Um, one of our projects that uh, has started up just over the course of the past several months and has seen huge amounts of interest um, as we have an initiative called the Princeton Vertical Farming Project. I'd really encourage you guys to check out the website if you just Google um, Princeton Vertical Farming Project. Um, it's this professor who has this goal of really integrating food systems into everyday buildings and having this be a part of the casual conversation. Um, and the theme of food has really caught on here. So I think he started construction on this vertical farm in maybe March. Um, and he already has maybe four students who are signed up to do this as their senior research. And again, most of them have to pick this in fall, right? So in a really short amount of time, um, he's engaged some students who find this work meaningful and impactful. And oh, by the way, when they leave, they're already starting to see career pathways for how this could benefit them as an experience to have. Great. We'll go to Vancouver. Sure. So at Vancouver, I think there's there's so many different criteria that can be applied to what makes projects successful and, and what are successful outcomes. I think um, for for us here, what we found is, is projects are really successful, or I think an indicator of success is when projects are able to build off of the knowledge of a previous project. So they become iterative. They're building a collective knowledge. A lot of that's housed, and we have a a seed sustainability library where that serves as a huge resource so the knowledge isn't boxed in in isolation. We're able to build off work and addressing, for example, our zero waste, our very, very ambitious zero waste goals of our university um, here where each project is able to, to, to keep moving the ne- needle further on that. I think another um, criteria that we're finding is that building interdisciplinary projects on our campus. So bringing the skill sets and bringing students from different backgrounds um, together as well as faculty 
to address problems because most of our problems now require interdisciplinary knowledge. So the more that we're able to get those folks together in a room and to work together, I think is really impactful. Another um, key indicator of success here is for projects is that they're aligned with the strategic priorities of, the, of both the university and here it's whether that's to build uh, global citizens, give um, students opportunities to engage in meaningful applied learning, address societal issues, and also advance our operational priorities of the university. So what, if, if that is about developing in, um, innovative green buildings, then we develop clusters of projects around those areas. So again, the, the projects aren't piecemeal. They're all, there's some collective knowledge that our, our team brings to the, the table that we're connecting them. So we have projects that are looking at how do we mitigate bird strikes uh, on our on our buildings here? So, and then other projects that are looking at how do we bring greenery into the buildings, bring nature inside to the to the buildings, and other ones that are doing assessments of our natural assets. So all these projects get connected and rolled up, and then I think that can increase the impact when we follow up on them. So I think those are some some key successes, and I think the areas here that we're seeing, I think it's evolved over the years. Like 10 years ago, we saw a lot of our early successes were around food. And I think that we've evolved with the, the food system sustainability, um, sustainability needle quite quite a bit. And now there's other areas like biodiversity, I think in green buildings, as well as well-being, um, such as uh, especially social health and mental health and, and physical health. So now we're, we're really working on, on those things. All right, going to Calgary. Okay. Yeah, I think, Dave, you, you raise a, a great point. There's all sorts of projects that can manifest through something like uh, Campus as a Learning Lab or Campus as a Living Lab or whatever term you, you wish to use. Uh, there's Looking at how we roll out projects here at the University of Calgary, as you move through the different types of projects from those co-curricular projects or class-based projects up to the industry community partnerships, you often see an increase in the amount of time invested, perhaps the amount of money required, and typically the amount of risk that's involved. So, you know, we're looking to have um, projects across that spectrum. And another thing we're really looking to cultivate is projects that span what the sustainability compass, which is a, a tool developed by Ellen Atkinson. And I think it provides a great way to look at sustainability. A lot of people, when they think about sustainability, they default to green buildings or energy efficiency, but to the sustainability compass really, I think, provides a nice broad definition. So you're looking at nature, economy, society, and well-being as you move around the points of the compass. And, and we really are striving to cultivate projects all around that compass. Something that makes a successful project for us is that it helps students develop those sustainability leadership core competencies. Um, I'm not able to cite the author, but I recall reading an article talking about CLL is isn't uh, service learning, it's transformative learning. And, and that's what, you know, that is the ideal outcome that students are, are transformed through this experience. Although perhaps not as exciting, but important, you know, students are also developing soft skills that will serve them well in, in their roles as sustainability leaders once they, they leave the, the campus. On the, the other side of the house, you know, think about uh, staff who are engaged in these projects. We're looking to provide them with a, a positive experience. We're looking to provide them with outcomes that can help them advance their work on sustainability. When we were doing consultation for Campus as a Learning Lab, I heard one of our staff members say that 
he was really excited about this initiative because he works at a university because he wants to support students, but yet in his role he's removed from them. And, and so this was a chance to to work with students directly and, and to have a positive effect on, on their development as professionals. I think both Caroline and, and Liska reference this, but having alignment also with our institutional sustainability strategy and the operational work that's taking place on campus to advance sustainability is ideal. Uh, if you can have all of these things in a project, that that's fantastic. But I think you see a whole range of types of projects, and if they hit one or or more of these things, that that's fabulous. Great. Well, talk to me a little bit about the challenges you've run into in in doing this work, and and that can include you know getting a program up and running. If you're involved with that, it sounds like some of you may have been, or just you know what are the biggest things you're running into today. Um, you can kind of answer that one however you want, Rochelle. You can just keep going. Yeah, sure. I, I'm going to flip your question on its head, Dave. Instead of uh, talking about challenges, I, I want to talk a little bit about opportunities that I see in in, <laughs> in building this uh, initiative up. Something we're really excited about is building off existing initiatives on campus. There's so much happening on our campus. For instance, we have a, a new a teaching and learning institute, the Taylor Institute for Teaching and Learning, and, and they have within it a college for discovery, creativity, and innovation, and they've been charged with being a hub, being an accelerator for experiential learning on campus. So I'm trying to figure out how can we use their expertise, their skills, their connections, a springboard to connect into people who are already doing experiential learning for sustainability on campus, which is really what Campus as a Learning Lab is all about. I'm also really excited to build off the work of people like Caroline Liska and other campuses. That's something I've really leaned heavily on, quite inspired by the approach taken by the California State University system, where they offered up a course redesign grant so that instructors could apply for funds to take an existing course and redesign it to incorporate campus as a living lab into their their course offerings. And I think that that is a brilliant approach because it enables you to scale up this initiative without you as the coordinator having to touch all the pieces. And I, I think that's a real challenge and opportunity is how can we make uh, initiatives like CLL grow and be sustainable and empower more people to do this? I think that that part's really exciting. I think, <laughs> although, uh, you know, I said I was going to talk about opportunities, one, one challenge that uh, I face, and I think probably anyone working in this type of environment does, is the desire to really sprint out of the blocks um, and to get things moving. Oftentimes in uh, post-secondary environments, that that's not how business is done. And as our chief sustainability officer likes to say, you know, walk slowly and, and bring everyone along. So that's that's a bit of a tension, I think, that um, <laughs> that exists within the work that we do. And I think also it's, um, it's a complex environment to work within. There are lots of moving parts, lots of levers, uh, probably a little bit of politics thrown into the mix, but uh, that, that keeps it exciting. Yeah, absolutely. And I think um, to build on what Rousseau was saying about the uh, California system, uh, I think another really powerful lesson from them is that they're creating campuses lab as a norm, right? Um, this is something that's coming from the system into each of the campuses. And that's that's really powerful. So I think that's part of one of the challenges slash opportunities that we face too, again, especially being in a theoretical institution, is how do we make 
this kind of applied learning culture, this campus's lab culture, the norm on our campus and make it less scary, right? Especially when some of these projects that are, you know, real world, roll up your sleeves, get your hands dirty, build something, um, you know, maybe even cross the, the lines of the safety of campus that present real risks. Um, how do we mitigate those risks and how do we be involved with them, making this research feel, this risky research feel safe uh, or sometimes descaling the the risk involved in some of this research so that it, it makes sense from a uh, the perspective of of the institution and, and maybe reputational risk and that sort of thing. So I think, yeah, all those things that Rochelle is, is saying resonate. Um, and I think I would also say just about building relationships too. One thing I've noticed is that um, it's it feels really luxurious now coming from a role where I was the director of sustainability and you kind of have your fingers in a lot of different baskets um, to now being able to focus on this campus's lab research and um, programming full time, which is wonderful. Um, I think it, it um, you can do a lot on the fringes of your time, but I really notice a difference in just how much more quickly things are able to move along when you're able to focus your time on this. Um, so just as building relationships, it's a, it, it's a really time intensive process. And I've been able to do some things with my time here that make my schedule more flexible or just better able to pivot when, you know, we're trying to build shelving for this vertical farming project. And there's a misunderstanding between the person building the shelves and what the researcher said. And, and I have to kind of, you know, pivot and be there um, to prevent that situation from turning into a bad relationship, that kind of thing. Um, just these situations that come up when people are working together and, and someone being able to be there and, and uh, mediate and kind of speak across um, research language versus operational language. Uh, one thing that we've had come up several times is um, some of the staff that we work with can be confused by the idea that researchers are going to make recommendations. Um, and so just being able to frame, you know, for the staff who are saying, well, why are you going to recommend us that we do things? Because we, we like the way we're doing things and we're doing them perfectly fine. Um, and so kind of being able to frame this in the, the mindset of an academic who's thinking of being able to publish a research paper in which traditionally you will make recommendations at the end and being able to explain doesn't mean you have to change anything. Um, this is just sort of the convention of the academic field. So that kind of work. And, and one more challenge I would say challenge slash opportunity is data. So I think part of the idea of doing campus as a lab and focusing on the unit of campus specifically, as opposed to maybe going beyond the university borders, is that we're sitting on quite a bit of data that lives in a lot of different places and sometimes doesn't communicate with each other well. So how do we kind of find and create easy access to that data um, is also becoming a hugely time-consuming process. And we have resources from different campus departments that are also really interested in this question and willing to help us. So even when you have a lot of folks on board who have a lot of skills and expertise, it just takes a lot of time. And it's it's about as close to a wicked problem as you could get within the confines of a university setting. So I think finding that data, creating access to that data, creating access to that data in ways that feel safe for people at the university who might have concerns about how that data can be shared um, is a challenge, but it's also an opportunity because the more we have these conversations, the more we create potential for this research to move forward in ways that it wasn't possible a year ago or two years ago. All right, moving to Liska in Vancouver. Great. Um, building off, I think, what's been said already, I, I definitely echo um, a lot of this. I think um, uh, for, for seeds at Vancouver, I think the academic silos, I think, is is a challenge here. It's, it's, it's a real challenge. I think we're seeing an increase in interdisciplinary and transdisciplinary and multidisciplinary courses on our campus. But we still don't have, I think, um, a faculty in terms of like a one-stop shop where we can 
put our CLL projects in where we can assemble the team with the the skill set. So when we need a fine art students, when we need an engineering students um, to be sitting at the, the same table and both to be considered the research to be valid, that they can get credit for it, we're still having challenges with that. So what's happening is that we have to build uh, numerous projects that are disciplinary and then connect those. And often they become these multi-year phase projects. When we can achieve that desired outcome to advance sustainability in this area a lot more, I think, efficiently if we're able to assemble that interdisciplinary team and that team would get recognized by their faculty with credit in, in the first place. So I often think of, imagine if we had like the school of everything or a school of leadership where it was open to all students at our, at our faculty here where they could uh, work towards um, addressing societal um, issues in the classroom. I think that would really help us out a lot. Another area I think that's been touched on in a few different ways, but maybe not as directly, is that we have a lot of knowledge at universities and at post-secondary institutions and in the practitioners who, who live and work here. But how do we translate that knowledge? So I think knowledge translation is, is another um, huge challenge. Just looking at our, we have a library. I mean, how accessible is a 40-page report to somebody who works in the field? Probably not that accessible. So I feel like we need some better ways to explore newer ways of communicating. That might require resources to be able to translate that knowledge, but also building projects. So when we start them, they're, they're, they're ready to go. They're ready to be understood by, by anyone. And then the next step is then how do we mobilize that knowledge? Not only here in the place that we initially created that project to address maybe an issue here on our campus, but there are other campuses. And again, the, the, the regions, the provincial and the national or the federal and the international regions that we're embedded within really, the again, I think as been mentioned as universities as microcosms, how can we share that knowledge and to help create change elsewhere? So I think that's another really, really um, big um, area. Um, and I think this touches on um, uh, how do we develop a, a coordinated approach to how we address societal issues? And some of us actually through this community of practice that both Rochelle and Caroline have led is how can we get other universities and our other post-secondary um, institutions to, 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 to work together and whether that's to produce some collective impact in an area, whether that's in enriched learning or helping students develop career capital or advancing sustainability. How can we develop more of a coordinated approach? So here what I'm finding at Seeds is that we're at a point in, in our time where many of the issues that we're addressing here, whether it's our, our waste issues or um, issues with loneliness, those things are experienced in a region. So why aren't we working on those things together? What mechanisms can we put in place to help um, expedite that? And we're working on that. The data um, issue, I think uh, Caroline mentioned that, that's a huge one. We've got so much data at campuses. How do we share it? And again, how do you make that accessible? And, and, and finally, I think it's, it's about communicating. A challenge for us is, is communicating our successes, but also our failures. And even with our, our, our research, um, with our, our student research, the ability for our students to, to get support to communicate the negative findings as well and consider that as valid, I think would go a long way. 
and seeing that sustainability, like getting over the mindset that sustainability is not doesn't have to be an add-on to your work. Campus Living Lab is intended, I think, to be supporting the, the work of the university, both in advancing the academic mission and in our operational priorities of the campus. All, of our, all these are challenges, but they're all great opportunities that we're working on um, pursuing here. Yeah, Liska, I really want to go to your school of everything if you ever create that. That sounds fantastic. That's the dream, isn't it? I feel so pumped up right now. (laughs) (laughs) You guys all have careers in politics ahead of you for taking my question about challenges and turning it into inspiration. So good job. Anytime. That's the name of the game. I think that that's that's what it is. I mean, when when I speak about campuses in Lillian Lab, and I think that's that's what I think I really really love uh, about this line of work is that. For us, I'll speak for me, but I, I think it, I think I can also speak for the other two. It's when you're in a room with where there might be conflict, and people say, and people are saying, "Well, we can't do this because we don't have the resources, or whatever the barrier might be." We see, oh, well, this would be a great project opportunity. So we're able yeah. to always yeah. flip it on its head. <laughs> Challenges are good are good for us. They they build living lab projects. So. Um, I just I usually put a simple equation on a on a slide or on the board and got a sustainability challenge. What a great CLL research opportunity! <laughs> <laughs> I love it exactly. Yeah. All right. So to wrap things up, let's let's uh, let's add on to our inspirational theme here and maybe just give me a vision for where this goes in the future. What does campus as a living lab or campus as applied learning or whatever term you want to apply? What does it look like in ten years? Who's up? Um, I can go. Yeah, you were you were on a good streak. Keep going. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Liska. Well, the ten year vision is always hard to come up with, but I'll say in five years we actually just did this sort of a bit of a strategic planning process with our our team, and and one of the things is um, we led the team through a visioning process to close your eyes and imagine you were walking on your campus, and and what would it look like in five years time from now. You know, what's, what do you smell? What do you see? What do the food outlets look like? And, and then thinking specifically about, for us, the SEEDS um, program, um, what, is that, what would that look like when you picked up a copy of our campus paper? And um, through my personal vision statement that I, I shared was SEEDS addresses UN sustainability development goals. So it's are you, universities working and colleges working together again, to address these broader collective issues that I think that we're all going to get called up to start working on if we're not already doing this, but doing this in a coordinated way. So I see the internationalization of the work that we're doing. I think that's, I think, coming up the pipeline. Um, So I think that's a a really, really important piece. How we do that, I don't know. Um, I think there's a number of different ways that we can explore that. I think that in terms of more near term is, is increasing our ability to address societal issues both on campus and beyond. So for us um, here with SEEDS, it's starting to build partnerships with, again, the stakeholders that are experiencing the same problems and are working towards them in the regions that we're um, embedded within. So really creating a stronger tapestry using that as, as a metaphor on how we address challenges. So, for example, we're, we're looking at a, a green corridor on our campus. We can't just cut a line around our campus and look at this. We need to involve the the rest of the community, and I think in, in which that um, impacts. Or, for again, if we're looking at how we increase our, our waste diversion in um, our multi-unit buildings, well, they're experiencing that in the city as well. So, 
why aren't we working on that together? So I think those are, are some, some, some key areas. I think the other areas I mentioned earlier was, again, how do we mobilize our current knowledge? And then how do we start to plan to mobilize our knowledge uh, from the onstart of project planning? So I think those are some key, I think, elements of the vision moving moving forward and, and really staying, I think, nimble and diverse in how we deliver CLL. So it's not, I think, a cookie-cutter program. We're really realizing that quite quickly that we're exploring a number of different hybrid models. Maybe we have a paid graduate student, some undergraduate students and volunteer students, and everyone's, again, working towards in, in, this, in this collective model or in different models on, on working on how we create um, a better a better world and address societal issues, I think, both efficiently and effectively and through a meaningful manner for our, our students here. Moving clockwise. Okay, Calgary, here I go. So I think looking down the road five to ten years, I'm, I'm hopeful that students who participate in CLL projects leave our campus uh, empowered to be a change agent for sustainability. And, you know, a lot of the things Liska mentioned around the ability for students to engage in interdisciplinary work, uh, to, to leave with those skills, because really those are the types of skills students will need to, to solve the wicked problems that exist in the world currently and that are going to continue to to evolve that the piece that Liska mentioned about knowledge mobilization five to ten years down the road I'm, I'm hopeful we're better able to tell our stories about our learnings and and to enable other students other campuses other people outside of the university's um, borders to to build off the work that's being done and to be inspired by it and I'd like to talk a little bit about the community of practice, the campuses lab community of practice. I'm hopeful five to ten years that uh, we're all continuing to work together across different campuses to create better programs and to really, I think, lift up the work that's being done on other campuses and, and apply it to our own specific context and to really take what's been done and uh, you know, have an exponential outcome <laughs> with the, the, with the benefit of of that knowledge. It's been incredible to see how willing people are to share both their learnings and and their failures. And and you know, again, that's another piece that that's quite exciting. Is five to ten years down the road, how are we how are we looking at failure and and incorporating you know the learnings from failures into the next iteration of of our work? So. Yeah, it's. Uh, I'm sure five years will go by very quickly, <laughs> but I, I'm sure we'll, all of these programs across different campuses are going to see uh, great growth, I hope, in, in those five to ten years. Yeah, uh, yeah. I'm thinking about um, what five to ten years means in terms of campus sustainability, and it's a really interesting question because I'm just realizing that the campus, like that's actually a really long time um, for the campus sustainability movement. I think Princeton only really started a coordinated sustainability program and got its first sustainability officer in 2006. And we were one of the first ones. Um, I know we've been, you know, focused on environmental, but as sustainability as a field, especially on campuses, this is fairly young. Um, so talking about, you know, twice the lifespan of that program, there's a lot of opportunity there. I wouldn't go so far as to say that 10 years from now or five years from now, every sustainability project should be campus's lab. I think there's still room for some of the theoretical or some of the, you know, modeling or, or that certainly, you know, keep that too. But um, I would like to see it. And I think it could 
become more normal, become more of a way of doing things. Um, I see the idea of campus's lab is kind of the, the 2.0 version of sustainability, this more streamlined kind of how do we not just talk about ideas, but how do we make sure that those ideas are actually making a change and making a difference. Um, and this, the risk of getting too political seems like a really great moment to do that. Um, and the more that we're creating projects that actually demonstrate improvements and improvements that are, are shared across different groups. Um, you know, are, we're finding, especially in the U.S., that our society has never been more polarized than it is now. So the more that we're actually creating projects that are doing things and making this more of a normal way of what sustainability looks like, it's not, you know, we're not telling people don't bring your, bring your reusable bag to the grocery store, or recycle this or don't recycle that. It's like, how do we use the collective power of institutions to make positive changes that have real positive impacts in the lives of people that you know and hopefully are you. Um, so making the campus's lab idea more thoroughly infused into the curriculum, more thoroughly infused into how research is done, and doing that, I think, with the goal of better communicating that sustainability is for everybody. Well, thank you very much to all three of you for such a great description of the work you're doing. I, I'm definitely inspired now. One of the things coming into this conversation was a general confusion about what we were even going to talk about, but I'm walking away more with maybe what uh, the future of education might look like. And there's a lot of people predicting the demise of the traditional institution as online learning and other types of learning take hold. But it seems like the three of you are all describing a different vision Um which gives me hope that higher ed institutions are going to continue to be on the vanguard of, of social and structural change in our society. So that's the hope. Very well done. <laughs> Keep it up. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Dave. Any final thoughts or um, is there a way people can get in touch with you? I know you have this community of practice. If there are other practitioners out there or just people have questions about getting a program up and running, is there a way they can get in touch with one of the three of you? Absolutely. Um, so speaking to the community of practice, this is a group that's been meeting to do, um, I think, as Rochelle said, uh, monthly webinar style calls, very informal. Um, we usually prepare a theme, but the focus is on communication and connection. Um, I would say if you're interested in being involved with that or listening into some of the conversations, you can all connect you to sort of the repository of documents um, that have been produced or shared as a result of that collaboration. So I'm happy to do that. Great. I will include that information and all of the contact information you guys provide in the show notes. But uh, just thanks again for taking the time and, and thanks for all the great work you're doing. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much. This is a great opportunity. Great conversation with yeah. some great people. Thanks so much. Thank you. That's it for this episode. As always, you'll find show notes on the website at campusenergypodcast.com. Please keep those show ideas coming and perhaps take a moment to write a review on iTunes to help us get the word out about the show. Thanks for listening. <laughs>